These prices are so fucking high that you don't have to come in over top of them for it to be fishy. Like, if you just meet these prices, you're already paying far more than what any other emerging artist would be able to get. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Inc., a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. All right, I'm just going to cut to the chase. This episode is going to be devoted to Hunter Biden. Why? If you read the news, click on any cable network, or walk down the street, you've probably heard that everybody is in a tizzy about the son of the president of the United States art career and his overnight emergence as a seemingly unlikely market darling. So to talk about Hunter Biden's art practice, how he views it, how the industry is embracing it, the static it's generating in the political sphere, and what it all means, we've pulled together a heavy-hitting roster of experts. So let's get started with Artnet News senior reporter Katja Kazakina. Thanks very much for coming back on The Art Ankle, Katja. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, a few weeks ago, you picked up the phone and you gave Hunter Biden a call. So what made you want to talk to him? I mean, it was pretty prosaic. I wish there was some big drama involved. <laughs> you know, to be honest, it was a PR person who works with the gallery and whom I've known for many years. She was trying to drum up some publicity for her client, who was the gallerist, George Berger in Soho. And so she said, I have a really good story for you. Hunter Biden is going to have a show there in uh, September. And I said, but it was kind of reported at the time that his affiliation with this gallery was already kind of in the news and she was kind of vague about when the show is going to happen or if it's going to happen. But then, you know, you just don't pass on this opportunity. And so I was like, okay, well, let me talk to Hunter. So that's pretty much how it happened. And just to like kind of set things up, the world knows Hunter Biden as the son of President Joe Biden. And he's something of the black sheep of the family who for years has been used as a convenient cudgel against his political father, most famously for his very ill-considered and very highly paid seat on the board of the Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma, despite not having any relevant experience. So the art stuff about him, about his painting career, about him being, you know, this really soulful artist seems to have come out of the blue. But did it really? What is his experience with art? Supposedly, he's been painting and making art and writing poetry since he was a young child. And so it's something that he's been doing for many years, but not in a formal professional way. And now he is a full-time artist. I was told he has a studio at his house and he paints every day and is going to have that exhibition. But it's kind of a new thing, although he seems to be committed to it and talks about it in a very genuine, if somewhat lofty terms, I would say. So he told me that he wakes up every morning at five. He has a young baby, a 14-month-old baby, and he tries to do some art thinking about it, looking at it, or, you know, just starting the work before the baby wakes up. But it sounds also like him and his dealer, they talk multiple times every day about art and philosophy and issues. And he said how for him, it's really about the universal truth, how everything is connected. On a kind of technical and pragmatic terms, he makes these paintings on metal and on wood and on canvas. And they're these layered compositions that are geometric and somewhat, you know, I guess, metaphysical. They feature 
his human form and some kind of a landscape, sort of geometric abstraction. At the suggestion of his dealer, he started incorporating his poetry into the work. So it seems like he is experimenting. You talk to artists all the time, you know, famous artists, emerging artists. What does he like to talk to? And is he recognizable in the way that he talks about his art from your previous experience? He sounds genuine and he's, I have to say, quite charming and he managed to connect with me and it wasn't awkward or anything. Some of the pronouncements struck me a little bit, I don't know, naive. I mean, he obviously is not part of the art world. You know, in the art world, there's art speak. Sometimes it's incomprehensible, right? I don't think he is familiar with that language, which can help hold this against the guy, you know. But when he talks about the universal truth, you know, you kind of like, wow, maybe it's a little bit naive, but then... We started our conversation and one of the first things he mentioned was how he moved to this new house and he was kind of alone there with his baby because his wife had to go to South Africa where her mother just passed away a few days earlier. And he mentioned that she had the same tumor as his brother and she died like either on the same day or the day later as his brother on the same date. So it struck me as that maybe in his life, there are these crazy, tragic connections that you do have to take seriously because, you know, if we are to say that he is an artist, it is his world we are discussing. And, you know, you can kind of dismiss it, I would say. I think that's a very important point because he just published a memoir. We know a lot about his life from his enormous exposure in the news cycles. And he has really been haunted by tragedy. His whole family has been haunted by tragedy. He's had all these struggles with addiction over the course of his life. And he's really had a difficult road in trying to find himself. And it seems that he's really authentically using art and making art as a cathartic outlet for trying to grapple with some essential self. That seems to be the way that he talks about it, the way that the art looks. But what has his professional career in the art world been like before he joined Georges Berger Gallery? There hasn't really been a career as far as I know. He's really a novice. He's an emerging artist, which is why one of their issues that have emerged. And, you know, what I do always is I ask about prices of art. And so I ask the price of his art and I was told that, you know, it ranges from 75000 for works on paper to half a million for paintings. And there's a primary prices for an emerging artist. And I would say that that's pretty steep. <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah, I mean, Katja, you're famous for being able to figure out the price for pretty much any artwork that gets sold privately, publicly. Was it hard to get the prices for his work? No, no, I think they were pretty eager to advertise them. I think that's a great place to segue because <laughs> those prices that you got ignited this maelstrom in the media. And thanks very much for coming on the show, Katja. Let's move over to Artnet News art business editor, Tim Schneider, to talk about the prices in the context of this broader evolving story. So Tim, what did you think when you heard these prices? Well, I was surprised, as Katya was. And, of course, prices are only ever just the start of any conversation, especially about a young artist. And the prices were really just the prelude to the next twist in this particular chapter. And so what happened then? What is the twist? 
So the big story of, at the time we're recording this, which is Friday, July 16th, the big story of the past week has been this ethics agreement that was announced by the White House and by George Berger Gallery. And the thing about the ethics agreement is that it's a set of terms that are supposed to prevent influence peddling, the idea that somebody who wants to curry favor with the president or someone else in the administration or just the Biden family in general could try to do that by paying exorbitant prices for Hunter Biden's artwork or otherwise doing some nefarious art market stuff to try to promote his work. And the idea is that this ethics agreement is supposed to prevent that from happening. And whether or not it does that is a whole other question. So how do prices come into being in the world? Is there any standard? How do you set prices and how do you determine if they're fair or not? Well, I don't say this to be cute, but it's going to turn out that way. Ultimately, setting prices in the art world, especially when you're dealing with an emerging artist, is itself more an art than a science. It's one thing if you're dealing with an artist who has a career, who has had past shows, whose work has gone to auction, and there are actual data points that you can use. But when you're working with an artist who has never shown before, you really can do whatever you want. And there is a pretty high degree of autonomy, even for living artists who are later on in their careers, because dealers are always trying to figure out when to raise prices in the primary market and how much to raise them. And ultimately, look, as somebody who's been in the room when this has happened before, it's sort of remarkable, especially when you see the actual dollar values of the prices that are out there for really successful artists. It's amazing how inexact the process really is at the end of the day. But, you know, as we've discussed, these are very high prices. Katya called them steep. They're extremely steep. I believe these are probably at the very high end of the market for emerging artists. If you're talking about artists who have had critically acclaimed shows or whose work has generated tremendous market attention or that for other reasons have captivated the art industry. And that's not really the case with Hunter Biden. So how do you stick a finger in the wind and come up with half a million dollars for a painting? We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but I think that this is one of the flashpoints in this ethics agreement, which is that ultimately there are, to my view, two really important clauses within the agreement of the things that we know. And we should also say here for the record that nobody except George Berger and Hunter and I'm sure his lawyer and maybe some people at the White House have actually seen the ethics agreement. Like nobody on the outside actually knows what's in this thing. We're all working off of secondhand information and really, the Washington Post, to my knowledge, broke the story, and a reporter there actually talked to a couple of people who were familiar with the agreement. And this leads us to this question of, like, well, what's the problem with the prices and the ethical structure that's been built around them? Which is that one of the two important clauses that we're hearing about is the idea that 
George Berger Gallery is saying that they will reject any offers that come in over the listed prices or that in any other way seem suspicious, which sounds great in theory until you look at the prices that are being charged. And there are plenty of people out there in the art world, some of whom I've talked to, who will say, look, these prices are so fucking high that you don't have to come in over top of them for it to be fishy. Like, if you just meet these prices, you're already paying far more than what any other emerging artist would be able to get. And that's part of what has ended up getting them into some hot water so far with this thing. And we know that KYC, New York customer rules, have become something of a point of debate around the art market that has been taken up in Congress and that is actually being mulled over for potential regulations because there have been multiple reports and investigations on the art market that have determined that it is just a hotbed for money laundering from people who have lots of money from ill-gotten sources, buy a painting, and all of a sudden that painting sells, and then that money comes through somewhat clean on the other side. So considering these are known issues, George Berger Gallery, is this a gallery of a kind of noble stature that has a huge track record in participating in the industry that is known for its high standards of transactions and credibility? What kind of gallery is this? The thing that's tricky about answering that question is that we know so little, we on the outside, even those of us who work in this industry for a living, we just know so little about the interior operations of pretty much any gallery. So I don't know much of anything about what goes on inside George Berger Gallery. Just like I don't really know all that much ultimately about the day-to-day experience of doing business with most other galleries in New York. And that's sort of the problem with this. And it kind of comes back to what you were talking about before, Andrew, with this whole suspicion around these boogeymen with money laundering and the art world and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to say that there aren't examples of that thing happening. There certainly are some. But a lot of the issue around Hunter's ethics agreement, especially, is really this question of, well, there's the potential for impropriety here. It looks like something really bad could happen. But that's very, very different from being able to say, yes, we know specifically that something is going wrong here. And as soon as you start to go down that rabbit hole, you can really get into a lot of speculation very quickly. So why do you think the White House has been moving so forcefully to try to remove, in what may very well be a a clumsy way, any kind of taint of ethical misconduct? Well, the obvious answer to that is that the Biden administration has come in after four years of the Trump administration, which you can say a lot of things about, unless you actually have like a Make America Great Again hat on, I don't think that there are too many people who are going to look at the Trump administration and say, yes, those were the gold standards for ethics 
that we should use going forward. The reality is that the Biden administration on both a political level and on a sort of ethics and disclosures level wants to come in and really do a 180 from what we've grown used to over the preceding four years. So especially given what you mentioned before about Hunter having been accused in the past of quote unquote trading on his name, I think that the Biden administration desperately wants to say, hey, look, we're treating this seriously. We know that there is the potential for impropriety in this. So we are going to really outdo ourselves so that the public can rest easy and know that anything that happens with my son's art sales is on the up and up. And how big a headache has this become for the White House now? Well, I, I mean, I'm an outsider, to say the least, on, on that particular dimension. But just based on the media reaction that we've been seeing, this has basically become certainly the biggest story in the art world. I think it's become a major story in politics, certainly over the course of the past week. And I don't think that the agreement does nearly enough to dispel the specter of impropriety being possible. And when you have a large swath of voters and Republican interests that are just slavering for the opportunity to find anything to use as a weapon against the Bidens, this kind of thing comes along and it's just like manna from heaven for them because it's the art market, it's all this shady stuff, the agreements you can disagree with in a number of different ways, and it's just gotten way out of hand and it is actually like now just this giant boulder that's rolling down the mountain just picking up more debris as it goes and it's only getting worse and so if there's holes in this agreement and it doesn't seem to really solve the problem that the administration is kind of desperately trying to just get out of the way what do you think would be a good solution a good agreement that would put concerns to rest the reality is I don't really know that there is a good enough agreement, I mean, not to not to get overly political here, but I think that we are way past any environment where we as a country can have reasonable fact-based debates about what's inside the lines and what's outside the lines. My problem with the ethics agreement is much less about what it means for the White House. I mean, like ultimately, I'm just an art market columnist. My issue with it is more, well, if we look at this from an art industry perspective, is this really helping Hunter Biden as a young artist who's trying to build a career or tied up with all of the political fallout from this thing being imperfect in various ways? Is it also putting him in a poor position to do the thing that he wants to do? And I think that there are some real problems there. Please dilate on the problems. What's the main issue here? We already started to talk about one of them in the sense of the prices and George Berger Gallery having the ability seemingly to decide what qualifies as being suspicious and what doesn't. But the problem that's linked to that is that there's this weird thing about the primary art market, which is that 
supply and demand don't really work the way that they do in most free markets. There is this thing where dealers long ago determined that the best thing for artists is for their prices to continuously go up with every new show. It doesn't have to necessarily be a huge jump. There are certainly cases when you get far enough along where the prices more or less hold steady, but they can't ever drop. If they drop, then it's seen as a really negative indicator for where that artist's career is going. So if you have Hunter Biden starting off in, as far as we can tell, his first show being marketed at prices from $75,000 to $500,000, where does he go from here? Is he, a few years from now, going to be able to elevate that to, say, I don't know, $150,000 to $700,000? Is it going to be able to keep going up from there? I mean, maybe. But the reality is that a lot of the interest in his work at this point is frankly, about Hunter Biden as pop cultural slash political celebrity, specifically about being the son of the sitting president. And obviously, his dad is not going to be president forever. So even if his kind of wider pop cultural profile is the main thing driving his prices like this, what's going to happen when Joe Biden is just another ex-president, whether that's in 2024 or 2028. I don't know, but I personally, if I was a betting man, I would not be gambling on the idea that that particular development in the political sphere is going to help a young artist named Hunter Biden, who is already starting off at these really, really lofty prices. So there is a funny detail here that while the prices have become a real flashpoint and a little bit of a cross to bear for Hunter and a real target on his back from the Republican right, the first source to say that his art is probably going to be worth a lot of money is actually the New York Post, one of the key outlets of the Murdoch empire and a real street fighter when it comes to the culture wars, had an article all the way back on June 15th titled, Hunter Biden's artwork is actually good and will be worth a lot, experts say. So do you think that there is anything to suggest that his artwork can sustain these prices? Is there a way that there is a market that can rise up around him that is organic and genuine that could transcend this political moment and unite the parties and have him become this great enduring market figure? Well, sure. And I mean, to be honest with you, I'm rooting for him because as Katya said, I don't see how you cannot see him as a sympathetic character on some level. And I mean, frankly, I root for every young artist to be able to find a way to make it in this, frankly, incredibly hellish business most of the time. Because it's like the odds are stacked against everybody. But there's a funny thing about that New York Post headline you mentioned. And I think it speaks to, again, this sort of what I see as a fundamental misunderstanding about the way that the art market works from people who, let's be honest, this isn't their stock and trade. The idea that Hunter Biden's prices or any artist's prices are directly linked to some kind of objective, commonly understood measures of beauty or aesthetic quality, it just could not be, frankly, further from the truth. The reality is, again, that 
art and collectibles trade at very high prices, certainly sometimes because people like to look at them, sometimes because they are very deep from a thematic or psychological standpoint, sometimes both of those. But again, like pop cultural celebrity and financial speculation are huge drivers of value in this market. And so to try to put Hunter Biden into this calculus where like a bunch of art critics are going to get in a room and like commiserate with one another and be like, well, we give this work a B plus overall and therefore his prices will be X. Like that's just not, couldn't be further from the way that it works. So people are just automatically dismissing the idea that he has a quote unquote right to these prices, I think is ridiculous. I mean, just look at what's been happening in the NFT market for the past nine or 10 months. So, I mean, you've got artists like Edward Snowden selling for $5.4 million. And I don't think that anybody who has a PhD in art history is going to come around and look at that and be like, well, this is the work that really changed the medium. And therefore, we should all understand that this multi-million dollar price was completely justified. It's like, this is not how it goes. Well, Tim, I have to thank you very much for this incredible segue that you provided me with. So (laughs) thanks very much, as always, for your expertise. And now let us jump over to Artnet News Chief Art Critic, Ben Davis. Thanks very much for coming back on the show, Ben. Hey, Andrew. Nice to be here. Uh, Interesting little story we've got ourselves mixed up in here. How do you feel about Tim's characterization as your particular profession's diminishing power to shape markets. Is that true? That's what the art critics, people who professionally write about art, have said for a long time, maybe more than a decade now, that art criticism has lost the power, if it ever had the power, in order to shape the market. It's actually just the weird and funny thing that suddenly, when Hunter Biden's art is in the news, that suddenly art critics are a hot commodity. And I mean, I've personally been called by a variety of news shows demanding to know what I think of Hunter Biden's art and whether it's worth the money. I'm glad that we are the latest in a distinguished line (laughs) of news programs to come to you for this little piece of wisdom. So what do you make of his art? What is his practice like? How do you see it? Is it any good? Again, I've been on NBC News and Inside Edition in the last week probably because of Katya's story, that we are part of this story. And what I know and have come to understand about the way the media is processing this is that they really just want a single soundbite, is that they want me to say the art is bad and it doesn't warrant this amount of money. To be honest, when I first saw it, when we first started writing about his art or when the news broke that he had an art career last year, my first reaction to it wasn't that it was terrible. It was actually that, oh, this is a little better than I would have thought. And the images that the gallery released around Katya's article, you know, when I look at them, I was like, oh, he's, he's come a little ways. He's actually developing his craft a little. That doesn't mean that I think they're terrific or great, but I don't dismiss out of hand the idea that he takes what he does seriously or this is a transparent grift or something like that. I do want to use the opportunity of this question to get a little art critic gripe off my chest, which is that I think it's actually kind of art 
critic malpractice to be saying definitively whether something is good or bad without having seen it. And no one or very few people, as far as I can tell, have actually seen Hunter Biden's art. I mean, this happens all the time that there are things that look good as JPEGs and look bad in person or look bad in person, but show up well on the screen. And there's just so much that you you can't tell. You can't tell anything about scale or texture or detail, how things hold the space. You know, you can give some provisional thoughts about it. But for that very reason, and the fact that the opinion about it is flying so fast and furious and has become a big news story. And as I said, art critics are being invited on the news to talk about it. It really shows you to me that we're not really having a conversation about his art. We're having a conversation about politics and it's an artistic proxy conversation for a lot of other things that people want to talk about. If I may be so bold as to venture a metaphor, but it sounds like you're talking about criticism as a form of like telemedicine versus a doctor visit where you use telemedicine to screen a whole bunch of patients to see if there's anything worth looking into further. And then you make sure to have an in-person visit where you can really see if there's something going on there. Is that kind of fair? Sure. I just think, you know, the internet circulates certain kinds of images well. It also circulates narrative really fast. And so what we're judging right now is some JPEGs and the narrative around Hunter Biden. That's what we're talking about. But it is a little bit funny now that people are using the idea of some kind of aesthetic purity and objective standard of value to say that Hunter Biden isn't worth what people are paying for it when literally everybody having that conversation hasn't seen them, has no way to make any kind of pure judgment of them. So here's kind of a little bit of a speculative question, which is that we're living through this era of the art world where identity and biography have become an increasingly big part of the discourse. And identity, in fact, has come to the forefront whether it's in the case of artists of color creating portraits of their community or somebody whose gender identity or other background critically informs their work. I think it's pretty obvious that Hunter Biden's biography is one of the key motivators of interest around his work. And he does have this tragic story. Is there a sense that this is imbuing it with really legitimate artistic interest at this point? Or is this some kind of epiphenomenon that is hovering around his work that doesn't really deserve to be tied up with the aesthetic considerations of his work? Those are really two different questions. Biography is really important in contemporary in the sense that people are really interested in advocating for the kinds of people who aren't privileged white men. That's really holding down the center of the conversation in art right now. Hunter Biden is a very privileged white man. So it's not certainly affecting the conversation around art in the way that identity or biography is manifesting within the art conversation. On the other hand, I just tend to think this is just my critical disposition. I don't think in general there is like a pure art object and then the artist stands outside that. I think that always in general we're in one way or another judging artists based on certain kinds of things that we know about them, either their biographical narrative or just what we infer about them through what you see in the gallery. And your opinions of things shift quite quickly when you know what's behind it, and that can be positive or negative. So 
In this case, I think for some people, the fact that Hunter Biden is the son of the most powerful person in the world probably gives these images more of an appeal. And for some people, it probably completely colors their opinion of the artwork in another kind of way. And that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, I think that that's true of most artists, whether people admit it or not, you're always having some kind of hybrid conversation where you're determining not some kind of pure judgment of the artwork, but really how much the biography is relevant to what you're seeing. So everybody who's weighed in on this podcast so far has actually written an article in which they share their perspective on this evolving Hunter Biden story. And you have as well. You actually wrote an opinion piece where you had some advice, actually, for Hunter Biden. So what was your advice? I said, don't sell the artwork, basically. And that is not just a piece of advice coming from me, art critic. It seems to be the consensus among the ethics watchdogs who have weighed in on this story in various kinds of news media. Now, one thing I'll say about that is that because we were getting bombarded with media inquiries about this story, I didn't set out to write about Hunter Biden. I sort of decided that I had to have some kind of opinion about it because it's one of these stories that everyone's asking you about. And in thinking about it, you know, my first thought about it was, what is the way that you could show this art in such a way that it could be taken seriously? And in the context of this ethics agreement, which basically ratified the secrecy about it, in my opinion, turned it into more of a black box. Some people were originally writing that as like, you should go the opposite direction towards transparency. The more we know about the people who buy it, the better. At first, I wrote an article that ended with me saying, you know, Hunter Biden, show the artwork, but don't sell it. I do think from the profiles that have been done of him, he does have a pretty sincere connection to this art. He's a recovering addict and recovering alcoholic. And this is something that he says he does to keep his mind clear, keep him away from bad things. And particularly because of who he is, if you ever want it to be taken seriously outside of the political story, you'd have to do some work as a dealer and as an artist in order to have it be seen outside of the corruption narrative. That is the entire reason that we know his name in the first place. I wrote that draft of the article, and then my editor said, my only criticism is that I don't think you can do that these days. I don't think there is any outside of the market. I don't think that, you know, what museum is going to show it, what nonprofit space, you know, how is he going to show it in his studio in Los Angeles and have it not be a question of the money and politics narratives, because that's who he's in. So I arrived at the idea that, you know, unfortunately, I think don't show it or don't show it now. You know, if you want to take seriously the idea of him developing as an artist, it just doesn't make any sense to show it in this way. And I don't find it on its face completely worthless. But it's certainly not, in my opinion, from what I can see, something that couldn't benefit with a few more years of development. It just really does feel like he's someone who has had these long history of being drawn into places where he shouldn't be into destructive patterns. And in the New York Times profile of his art that sort of introduced Hunter Biden artist to the world last year, he said his art was helping him 
stay away from places he shouldn't be. But it really seems to me that he's been led right back to where he shouldn't be by unscrupulous characters of a different kind, leading him into sort of self-destructive behavior of a different kind. Yeah, it seems like if he wanted to really be taken seriously as an artist, he wouldn't have his galleries publicist be touting him in this context. So it sounds like in the best of all worlds, this is the beginning of our journey with Hunter Biden artist. And I think it's probable that he's going to be in the news again for some other reason. This story is going to continue to evolve and to snowball. As Tim said, we know that Republicans are already talking about putting together some kind of formal investigation of his art market prices and his engagement with the art market. So I think this is going to be something we're probably going to revert back to at a later date. So thanks very much for coming on the show, Ben. Yeah, happy to be here. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcasts at artnet.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.